0: At the High Motor Podcast, Andrew Doughty here on the Hero Sports Podcast Network. Before we get humming this week, a quick thank you to everyone who listened to the last episode last week that was led by Colgate head coach Matt Langle. That was the most listened to High Motor episode ever. So much appreciation to any of you who also checked out that episode. Please stick around to check out this entire episode. It's going to be an awesome one. We're going to kind of put a bow on the first and second rounds, look ahead to the Sweet 16 and Lead 8, but mostly a lot of coaching stuff. First, I'm going to have Jeff Goodman on with some coaching carousel uh, talk. He has some updates for these situations at Nebraska, Alabama, uh, Cal, UCLA, and elsewhere. And then second, we'll have back-to-back guests after Jeff. We'll roll right into Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, some Big 12 stuff. We're going to talk about Texas Tech, Chris Beard, and then obviously Kansas basketball moving forward. A lot of personnel issues. I want to ask him about uh, Bill Self, too. And then after that, we're going to do a giveaway, some hero sports swag, stuff we all get. Here's how that's going to work. Once the show is published, I'm going to tweet out a question from the High Motor Podcast account. That is at High HighMotorPod on Twitter. At High Motor Pod, I will tweet out the question about something that Jeff Goodman said. You respond, I'll grab some of the correct answers and throw in a bucket and then pick a winner. It's very simple. If you listen to the show, you'll know the answer. And then when Jesse Newell hops off, I will give some Sweet 16 and Elite 8 predictions. Let's fire it up here on the High Motor Podcast. Jeff Goodman joining the High Motor Podcast before he heads to Kansas City for that Midwest Sweet 16. Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining the show. Let's jump right in here. A lot I want to ask you about. uh, First of all, you just tweeted out Monday morning some comments on Jason Kidd and Cal. Can you give us an update on that situation and who Cal might be targeting if it is not Jason Kidd that ultimately gets that job?
1: Yeah, I mean, from what I've been told by a source close to, to the situation, Jason Kidd's too far away from getting his degree. Uh, so that would take him out of the equation for the, for the Cal job. I know he, he's he's working towards his degree. We heard his name a little bit at UNLV, but the AD, I think, wants to uh, go with somebody with a fewer red flags, and again, um, Cal, I think, you know, obviously him being a former star, you heard his name quite a bit early here, um, but ultimately I think they're going to choose between Russell Turner and Travis Secure. I think those are the two people, Russell Turner, uh, getting into the NCAA tournament this year, getting a huge win, upset win, uh, and fighting Oregon, and, and Travis Secure has been in the, the couple last couple of years in the NCAA tournament for Montana. So I think those are your two leaders at this point. Uh, I don't know if they have enough money to get a Randy Bennett uh, because that would be the natural choice, and he was in the mix last
0: time. So you mentioned Turner, you mentioned Dakir. Several mid-major coaches have come up in your search firm articles, other rumors and projections across college basketball. Like you mentioned, Turner, uh, Matt McMahon has come up quite a bit and some others. Are there any mid-major coaches that that you're just still surprised are at their current program?
1: I mean, like at James Jones, I'm a little surprised he's still at Yale, to be honest. Um, that's one that that, that shocks me a little bit. I mean, again, Matt McMahon, you know, we'll see what happens now uh, with him going to the NCAA tournament two years in a row, but uh, James Jones is one that I thought would would get one by now, and um, he still may, but but I think, again, you know, it's got to be the right fit and the right timing, and uh, there's so many factors that go into it when you, you know, look at Andy Enfield, right? He got hot at the right time, and and AD that really didn't know anything about him two weeks earlier uh, hired him at USC because of the run he went to the Sweet 16.
0: So you published a search firm article uh, on Monday for Vanderbilt. Your prediction is John Thompson the third, but your pick if you were Vandy is Thad Mata. You know that you've uh, recently spoken with Mata. Uh, Vandy or not, do you think that Thad Mata is back in college basketball this year? And if it's not Vandy, you know, what other good fits could you see for him? I
1: don't know what's that. I mean, honestly, I I don't know. I think this one fits him better than most, but I still think he's a Midwest guy. I still think at the end of the day, you know, he turned down Butler a couple of years ago right after he was fired. He turned down Georgia. Uh, San Diego was involved last year. I mean, there were plenty. Uh, And some people feel like the only reason he's even putting his name in is because he's got to show in order to collect his money from Ohio State, he's got to show that he's – trying to get other jobs so we don't know how interested that might truly is about getting back in but i think he's a different dude i don't think he takes a job that, that he, you know the sec is going to be an interesting one for him um i don't think he really wants to go to the sec but i'm not sure how many other opportunities there are going to be in like the big 10 the big 12 that fit him right now that he would come back for so um that's my pick, but I don't feel good about it. I, again, I've heard so much about John Thompson III that I think that's the the way I think they end up going. But again, for me, I would go hard after model.
0: Do you get the feeling that it's more of a one sided situation where he's the guy that's kind of waiting for the right opportunity, or you know, you mentioned he turned down Butler a few years back, or do you get the feeling that? he's just looking for, uh, or I guess a program is also looking for him to accept their offer, or is it just a one-sided thing on his side?
1: I think it's uh, in his his court. I think that's the biggest thing. I think it's, it's in his court where uh, if the right opportunity comes for him, he would take it, but otherwise uh, I think he's going to be, you know, thanks but no thanks. It's got to be the perfect scenario for him. You know, he's got I think one daughter who goes to Butler um, I think he's living in Indianapolis now, so again I, I think midwest is probably where he'd rather coach if he comes back at all like i know he's he's in his early 50s um, uh, but a lot of it depends on his health too and, and when i talked to him he was enjoying life uh, away from basketball where he could uh help his wife do some errands and everything like that
0: so as we speak here again on monday morning we haven't heard about tim miles yet you had him on your good and plenty podcast back in mid february talking about a life on the hot seat any updates or feeling about miles and if he is gone is Hoiberg the guy there? Does the Prome alabama situation have any effect on Nebraska, too? Yeah,
1: Prohm is not going to go to Alabama. Uh, so Steve Prohm will not go to Alabama. He'll end up signing an extension soon, according to my sources at Iowa State. So I think that moves this thing uh, along a little bit quicker. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we're recording this now on Monday, uh, if Tim Miles doesn't make it through the next 24 hours as a head coach at, at Nebraska. And then I expect things to go fairly quickly. Uh, moving with Brad Hoiberg unless he uh, gets some other information that he's got another job or he's in the mix, but I think he's far down the list at UCLA. I think he realizes he's probably not going to get another NBA head coaching job, and he ends up uh, in Lincoln replacing Tim Miles.
0: Was Steve Prohm the guy that Alabama was targeting, or were they, were they going after somebody else and Steve Prohm's name was just mentioned there?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we don't know yet where Greg Byrne is, is looking. Greg Byrne's pretty smart dude, very well-connected uh, so could he be looking at, at you know, uh, uh, Thad Mata? You know, remember, he's very close with Sean Miller from his days in Arizona. Sean Miller is very close with Thad Mata from their days, um, you know, when, when they were younger uh, coaching together. So uh, I know Greg Byrne would like to get a guy who's clean. Um, I know he would like to get a guy fairly soon if he could. But does he wait for a Chris Beard? Yeah, that's what I would do. I would be, I'd be, maybe not waiting for Chris Beard, but I would, I would be doing my due diligence now, meeting with candidates, and then see what happens this week with Chris Beard and throw the kitchen sink out.
0: What's the sense to get around Chris Beard? Is he somebody that would be interested in the kitchen sink, or is he, is he truly one hundred percent invested in Texas Tech, no matter what comes down? I mean, think Texas Tech
1: can pay. I mean, Kirby Oakhead's going to try to match anything that comes his way if he can. Now again. It's not even so much of the money. It's, can he get an elite-level job out of this? I mean, remember the run he's on right now. It's, it's insane at Texas Tech. Um, he doesn't really fit UCLA from a personality standpoint necessarily, and I don't think he fits like that area. Um, but they, they, they could do a lot worse. And, and if they strike out on some of the guys that we're hearing about, you know, Tony Bennett and, you know, Bill Self, obviously Calipari didn't was never going to take UCLA. But, you know, maybe they they do end up going after Chris Beard if he beats Michigan and beats Gonzaga and goes to the Final Four. Maybe that's the easy deal as Bob Myers, who's kind of running that search, watches um, what he's done over the last two years. Um, So Beard, I think, again, you know, if I'm Beard, I don't know if I'm going from Texas Tech to Alabama or Texas Tech to Arkansas if it opens, or, you know, A&M, which I think Buzz Williams has. Uh, but, you know, Texas and Arizona, uh, UCLA, those are jobs you got to keep your eye on right now. Arizona and, and, and Texas, I think Texas, unless Jocker Smart finds another spot, they keep him for another year. Arizona, uh, who knows what happens here with Sean Miller.
0: You mentioned Bill Self and he addressed um, you know, the rumors of the Chicago Bulls and the NBA earlier last week saying something to the effect of that he, you know he's never been more motivated to stay. Uh, but he also said he, he has said before he doesn't necessarily know if he wants to be a head coach forever. You threw his name out there for UCLA. Do you think that's a, a legitimate uh, chance for him or is it kind of just Kansas in college and that's it for him?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think he goes to another college job. I don't think he can leave Kansas for another college job, especially everything that's kind of going around the Kansas program right now, the NCAA investigation. You know, I, I get the sense that unless it's a, a job he can't turn down in the NBA, he's not going to run away from this. Uh, there's been nothing that has hit him as far as knowing anything that's going on with T.J. Gassman only giving Sylvia Decision's mentor money or anything like that. Um or, or the Billy Preston situation. Um, but, you know, I, I still could see it if the right job came along in the NBA. I, I think Bill Self would go.
0: So with this UCLA job, I had uh, Ben Bolts, Los, Los Angeles Times, on the show maybe you know, five or six weeks ago, and we talked about kind of uh, how the Pac-12's financial gap, their, their recent postseason struggles – Impacts a job like UCLA, and he actually said he could see it—a um, coach being enticed by a conference that he could come in and win consistently. You know, reel off whatever it is—three conference titles in four years, five and six years. Where do you stand on that? Do you think the UCLA job is at all affected uh, by the Pac-12's financial gap by their postseason struggles recently?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are looking at it, and saying, you know, right now they're in this place where they, they charter everywhere; uh, it's easy to get to places. And you, you hear about UCLA and you hear about the tradition. And a lot of people say to themselves, um, you know, nothing short of national titles and Final Fours is good enough over there. So the expectations are higher than maybe they should be uh, per the resources and per the fan support. You've got so many other things going on in L.A. Unless you bring Alonzo Ball in uh, or you're winning in such a high level. Uh, are you going to be able to capture the fan base and, and, and get people to the games? So I think it's got its challenges, but again, for the right guy, again, you know, you look at a Chris Beard and you say to yourself, how do you not, if they offer him a job, how do you not go from Texas Tech to UCLA? it be a hard one to turn down.
0: We mentioned UCLA, Cal, those are two of three jobs open in the Pac-12, Washington State being the other one, a program that really hasn't done anything since Tony Bennett left. I think they're averaging something like 10 or 11 wins over the last seven, eight years. Realistically, what level of job do you see it as? Can they get a really strong head coach to take a shot there? They can get a
1: good coach. I mean, they're not going to get some of the guys we've been talking about so far. I mean, I think you're looking at similar guys as maybe Cal's looking at, partially because of money, partially because it's a job that, not a lot of people have won. And it makes you look at the job that Tony Bennett did there, and it's, it's insane. I mean, it's insane what he did there. So, you know, you could see them. There's certainly a Leon Rice, who's an alum there, will have a shot. Uh, if Tim Miles does get fired, I think he could be a name that's thrown in there. Travis are again from Montana. Uh, TJ Otzelberger or Russell Turner, uh, guys like that. I think, you know, maybe a, an Eric Musselman. But I don't know if Eric Musselman would go there, even though he's losing most of his you know, top players in Nevada. Uh, would Eric Musselman go from Nevada to Washington State? Probably not.
0: All right, Jeff, thanks for the time uh, during a busy week for you. Safe travel to KC this week, uh, and we'll see you in Minneapolis in a couple
1: of weeks. Thanks a lot. I uh, appreciate you having me, and uh, enjoy. hopefully the games will be a little bit more uh, more interesting this week than they were uh, this past week.
0: We have Jesse Newell on the horn, Kansas basketball and Kansas football writer from the Kansas City Star. And Jesse, we'll get to Kansas in a second here, but first let's talk about the only Big Twelve team left in the NCAA tournament field. That is Texas Tech. Six Big Twelve teams made the field; just one makes it to the second weekend. Uh, you know, I was looking back. Texas Tech they had two Sweet Sixteens from seventy-seven through. 2017, so two appearances in four decades now, back to back under third year head coach Chris Beard. And Jesse Beard's name getting a lot of attention everywhere back to back, Big 12 Coach of the Year awards, uh, could get National Coach of the Year. I just had Jeff Goodman on the show a minute ago, and his sense is that programs are going to really throw everything at him. You know, see if he'll accept a huge offer, whether that's Alabama throwing it at him, UCLA throwing it at him. Um, what about you? Do you get the sense that Beard is there to stay? and that this success is kind of the new norm for Texas Tech basketball after so many decades of struggle?
1: Well, we'll see.
2: I mean, I think it always depends on what is given, what is offered, those sorts of things. You just talked about Jeff Goodman. I remember him uh, in the preseason, I think it was, talking about a ranking. It was kind of interesting doing a ranking of the coaching jobs in every conference. And if I remember right, Texas Tech was either ninth or 10th in the Big 12. So, unless you know just how difficult the job it is to win, in Texas Tech and why it might be enticing for a guy like Chris Beard if he has another opportunity uh, to go chase it. Now, he's in a good spot because he doesn't have to leave. He has a good opportunity Texas Tech where he obviously can compete for the highest of stakes because uh, that's what he's doing right now. So he doesn't have to leave, and he also could wait a year to see what else opens up. There was a lot of speculation you know, about a month ago that uh, even Texas could be a really good job for him. Uh, just wouldn't have to move that far, and obviously Texas would have the resources and the sort of money to uh, very much entice him to go there. So, uh, I guess we'll see with Chris Spear. You know, he he has been a guy on the move throughout lots of different coaching jobs here in a very short period of time as he's continued his rise. So, I, I don't envision we'll see him at Texas Tech for too much longer. Just depend on uh, what school can come after him, but you really do have to appreciate what he's done with the Red Raiders just because of uh, the resources and the place it is and kind of the guys he's been able to develop it it's been a, a, a pretty impressive coaching performance there and that's why as you've seen all these schools most likely uh, be, be calling him and have him number one or number two on their speed line.
0: yeah and like i said texas tech back in the sweet 16 second straight season this year they get a michigan team kind of going through it uh the last 48 hours or so a michigan team with a lot of similar numbers but they go about it a different way. Like, for example, you know, they both defend the perimeter extremely well, both in that 29 to 30% range for opponents. Uh, opponents, But Texas Tech is a team that, that lets opponents take the bad shots from outside. They just defend them really well, whereas Michigan doesn't even let teams do that. They're going to force the team inside for a contested, too. So similar personnel for both Beard uh, and John Beeline, but they kind of go about it a different way. What do you expect on Thursday in Anaheim between Texas Tech and Michigan?
2: you mentioned two very, very good defenses, but two completely different styles, and um, you know, Michigan, it's sort of interesting the transformation they've had, because for a long time, they were the B-line offense, and you know, spread of the court, shoot threes, and really the offense was going to carry them, and the defense wasn't, and uh, here comes uh, assistant coach Luke Yaklich, who has kind of become the defensive coordinator of Source for Michigan, and as you mentioned, what they do, they like to run teams off of the line, so they don't like to restrict three-point shooting and keep teams from doing that. And we've seen transformation from Michigan. And really, this year, um, their offense is good, but their defense is what's been elite. Uh, Texas Tech is a little bit different style defensively. You know, They really, really get after you, uh, turn you over. And then, as you mentioned, they don't mind you shooting threes. They sometimes kind of force you into those shots. But at least at this point, um, the number that's a little bit superior for them is that um, teams have shot a very low percentage. Sometimes that can be overcome in a one-game sample. For example, we thought Kansas shoot very well pro-3 against Texas Tech and Allen Fieldhouse this year in a victory, but yeah, I mean, Chris Beard has his own style Those guys like the ice ball screen, force stuff to the sideline, uh, you know, keep things uh, out of the middle of the court, and then they defend interior really well, and he recruits to that. He has a bunch of really athletic, switchable bodies on the perimeter, uh, and guy like Tariq Owens, who is just amazing defensively, blocks shots, can be switched, all those sorts of things. So, uh, two very good defenses. It should be a fun matchup, and you said, two teams that are uh,
0: probably the top two defensive teams in the nation, It's getting at it kind of in a, a different way. And Kansas was one of those five Big 12 teams who did not advance beyond the first weekend. They failed to reach that fourth straight Elite Eight. And during the second half of that Auburn loss, I was kind of running through of how did they get here? And one item on that list is this cloud of the FBI investigations. And while there's, I think you'll agree with me here, there's no way to quantify something like that anything off the court it's really impossible to put an effect number or a, a win differential number on that but it is still there you know you you being around that program every day do you get the sense that that this kind of was hanging around all season and did have an effect on the uh, on the win total on losing the big 12 championship for the first time in 15 years well it
2: definitely had an impact on the program um, it, as far as wins and losses it's difficult to say okay well that sort of speculation or the gray cloud that's kind of hung over Lawrence for a while is, is directly indicated in that but yeah it just was a different feel you know there there was sort of this somber mood around people and um, this wasn't one of the quote fun years you know what I mean sometimes those Self can have a team and they can develop over time and it's like it might not be his best team but over time he really comes to, to like them and appreciate them and, and, and value them for what they can do and by the end of the year he's having a lot of fun coaching and I'm not saying that this year's team wasn't that. It's just that it's a little bit more difficult to enjoy yourself when all this other stuff is going on in the background. And, you know, we can throw on to that. You know, you don't get a injury. Obviously, that set Kansas on a different path than they would have been going before. And Sylvie DeSoto never got eligible. That's part of the FBI probe. And uh, now he's suspended for two years pending a, uh, a review of that, a, an appeal of that by Kansas. And then but Gerald Dick leaving the program. Uh, about midway through the year. So it's just a lot of stuff happened. If I'm being honest about Kansas though, you know, their record probably is a little bit better than it should have been because if you go through the very early part of their schedule and what they did, you know, they had an overtime win against Tennessee. They had kind of a miracle win against Stanford where Legero Dick rose up and hit a very difficult shot. They they had a competitive game against New Mexico State in Princeton that they won. Uh, Legero Dick carried them again against Villanova in a game that they could have lost at Allen Fieldhouse. So, you go through all these things, and really, um, the record and what can you accomplish isn't as bad as it might have been just because of uh, their close game success and how they performed early in the season. But I-, I think to your point, yeah, the whole FBI thing, it just it has had its toll and it will continue to have its toll. I mean, we can anticipate that most likely when the NCAA starts to investigate this, after all these federal trials are over, that it's going to take a year or two until this whole thing is resolved. And in that meantime, you can also expect that Kansas most likely – uh, I think we've seen it already and you'll continue to see it just have a little bit of a hit in recruiting where um, kids and players and parents might not want to associate
0: themselves with some of the bad headlines, whether that's fair for Kansas or not. You mentioned the personnel issues and let's dive a little bit more into that. Looking ahead to 2019-2020, uh, a very unsettled roster, a very unsettled rotation. Let's start with the big guys, uh, really three of them. You mentioned uh, Silvio, also bouquet lost and I don't... Maybe you have some inside information there, but it seems like nobody outside the program really knows the future of those three players. Do you think that those three guys are back next season? And if not, who do you think does leave the program?
2: Well, I think it's not likely that all of them are back, to be completely honest. You kind of go case by case. If you look at at Dietrich Lawson, I mean, I think he's a guy who has always dreamed of being a pro, came to Kansas, basically made himself like a second-team, third-team All-American type, and What he needs to be better at the next level, which is more athleticism, more spring ability, that sort of thing, I mean, you can't accomplish in one year of college, you know. If if somebody tells you to work on your jump shot, you can do that. If somebody tells you to, you know, have a 10-inch higher vertical leap, then you basically are what you are at this point. So for him, the clock's sort of ticking, you know. If he's going to have a professional career, it's almost like you might as well get started now, whether that's in the NBA or the G League or overseas, and make as much money as you can playing the game while you can. So I, I wouldn't expect him back you know gazabuki has seemed again kind of like having an high toward the nba uh for most of his college career and it seems very um likely for him to go ahead and and go this year and just see uh what he's doing same thing for him if he comes back another year for kansas and has another injury then all of a sudden you're you're crazy hurting your draft stock and you just get that um you know injured prone sort of label that maybe would be hard to shake. So if either one of those guys came back to Kansas, I'd be very surprised. If one of them, even one of them, came back, I'd be surprised. And then you got know, our Sylvia De Sosa He might actually be the most likely of the three. We have not heard back from the NCAA yet, um, in regards to the appeal that Kansas has passed for this two-year suspension for Sylvia De Sosa If that thing gets trimmed to one year, then Silvio spends his one year at Kansas this year, uh, sitting out that suspension. So if it was limited to one year, he'd be eligible play right away next year and if Kansas didn't think that that was at least possible he would have already left the team and gone to play professionally so he might be the one that out of all those guys is the most likely to return just because he has a little bit of skin in the game here since he sat on the sideline this whole year and there might be a chance that the uh, NCAA committee that is in charge of looking at that take a look and says, hey let's suspend him for one year to two years on this thing and let the kids play for next season if that happens
0: then he at least would have one of those three big guys back and something to start from the and depending on those decisions, obviously three huge decisions that are going to affect next year's team. This could be a pretty similar—I don't want to go all the way and say nearly identical—but it could be a very similar rotation, or it could be a completely different rotation. Um, you know, let's say that you know Lawson does leave, but as Ibuki and Silvio come back. You know, maybe they add more—you uh, know, one more guy like a Matthew Hurt, for example. Um, but let's just let's play a game. Let's just say if the roster is the same. And Lawson does come back. as Ibuki does come back. We'll see what happens with Silvio. But if the roster is, you know, fairly similar, should fans be optimistic that this is going to be that much better of a team next season than it was this year?
2: Well, those guys getting back, yeah, it would be a great team. But, uh, like I said, it just doesn't seem that likely that all that's going to happen. And I, I talked with either Lawson in the locker room after the game. By now, I mean, they all know the drill. Everybody... Ed Kansas knows after the final loss this season you're going to get asked in the locker room if you're going to stay or go, so they all have the same stock answer, which is, I haven't even thought about that, and, you know, I'll look at my future later, that sort of thing, but, you know, Zedrick got really emotional. He hadn't been in the NCAA tournament, he kind of broke down, started crying, um, you know, into a towel in the locker room, and um, he, he hadn't played this for three years and then got a chance this year, and I'm not sure, yeah, we'll know later, but I'm not sure how the motion comes if he thought that he'd come back and maybe had another run at this thing. And I asked him what he'd remember about the season. He talked about his teammates and all the times they had together, and almost in a sort of reflective, "This is in the past" sort of mode. So you can't know until then. But uh, yeah, this is a different. I mean, if, if everyone came back, then yeah, this is a really good roster. They'd have one more year of experience and uh, all those sorts of things. But this has the potential. If I'm counting down, looking at the number of guys that could leave, I mean, Kansas, four and Aircraft, six guys leave off this roster. And as of right now, they've only got a pair of uh, 100 to 150-type uh, recruits coming in next year in Christian Brown, uh, Kansas high school state player of the year in Kansas, and then Isaac McBride, a point guard from Arkansas. So there's lots of work to be done on the recruiting trail, and a lot of this didn't see made. Usually those things sort uh, themselves out here over the course of the next week or two so those Self can ahead in recruiting and plan accordingly for what he needs
0: to get. Last thing for you here, last week Bill Self, he addressed speculation that he might leave for the NBA. There were some rumors that the Bulls could target him. There might be mutual interest there. Um, he really squashed those by saying something to the effect of, you know, he's never been more voted, motivated to stay at Kansas for a long time. Uh, really simple. Jesse, do you buy that from him? I do,
2: in the moment, um, while also kind of appreciating that everything and change and people that want to check that out uh, Sam Mellinger that's my colleague here at the Kansas City Star column that he got a hold of Bill Stoff so uh, that's his article online if you guys want to go check out those quotes Bill Stoff never really said anything you know there's some coaches that maybe um, they get like me and they start speaking too fast mean and maybe it comes out wrong or whatever Bill Stoff is very particular about his words he's a super smart bright guy and so uh, there were some very strong comments in there and so there had to be a reason behind them I will say a couple things we'll see it things can change, and from what we know about the FBI stuff right now, um, I think Bill Self feels comfortable in position that at some point he's going to be able to uh, speak more about that once all these federal trials end, but if things get a lot worse, then maybe that could change the arithmetic. And second, Sam uh, specifically asked Bill about a Chicago Bulls rumor that was out there. You know, he's been rumored to the San Antonio Spurs for like over a decade now. Um, uh, R.C. Buford, who he went to, uh, you know, a good friend from growing up with, up at his wedding that's sort where of I looked at guys has been linked for a long time and if that house came open at any time uh, for Bill and was offered to him, he might leave so that might have nothing to do with the FBI but so like I said things can change but a couple things to look at he does have a great situation in Kansas well compensated if he wants something from donors boosters he basically snaps his fingers and gifts it we've seen that with the dorms that the basketball players have the uh, hall of fame for the rules they have next door and then also the practice gym there and then also the other thing is what he values As a person with his players and program for so long has been talented. And so um, this could play a little.
1: Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star.
0: You can find his stuff on Kansas City.com. And you also mentioned that article, uh, his colleague Sam Mellinger, about Bill Self. You can find that on Kansas City.com, Excuse me. And you can find Jesse on Twitter at Jesse Newell. Hey, Jesse, thanks for the time and insight today. I really appreciate it. No problem, Andrew. Thanks. Like Jesse said, recruiting, it's a a little slow, and that's probably an understatement for Kansas this year. Only two guys committed classes in the bottom half of the Big 12 with Isaac McBride and Christian Braun. Miles behind the top 25 classes nationally, which just doesn't happen at Kansas, does not happen under Bill Self. They are chasing some four five-star kids. Like I mentioned, Matthew Heard, he's the five-star forward from Minnesota. He's taken an official visit to Kansas, had a long relationship with Self. Uh, Self actually coached him on USA Basketball. So it's going to be interesting to see how this year's recruiting at Kansas, how their future plays out. You know, Like Arizona, for example, was able to rebound uh, from their issues last year. And I'm not going to compare those situations because that's always a waste of time comparing apples and oranges with situations with that many variables. But we'll, we'll see if Kansas can rebound from this little blip, if it is indeed a blip. Let's do a giveaway here. I'm going to ask you one question about something Jeff Goodman said. The question is, who was one of the names... Jeff Goodman said could be in play at Washington State. Who was one of the names Jeff Goodman said could be in play at Washington State? Just need one of them. He mentioned a handful there. Tweet at least one of them to the podcast at High Motor Pod. That's at High Motor Pod. Tweet one of the names that Jeff Goodman said could be a potential candidate at Washington State. I will grab some of the the winners, the correct answers, throw them into a bucket, and pick an actual winner. I will send you some hero sports swag. Okay, let's get to some Sweet 16 Elite 8 picks. Let me run through them quickly, and then I'll touch on a few of them. I have Duke over Virginia Tech. I have Michigan State over LSU. Gonzaga over Florida State. Texas Tech over Michigan. Auburn over North Carolina. Houston over Kentucky. Tennessee over Purdue. And Virginia over Oregon. In the Elite 8, then... I have Duke over Michigan State. I have Gonzaga over Texas Tech. I have Houston over Auburn. And I have Tennessee over Virginia. That one's a tough one for me. So if Tennessee does win, if they do beat Purdue in the Sweet 16 down there in Louisville, and if Virginia advances beyond Oregon also in Louisville, Virginia, Tennessee in the Elite Eight. I have been picking Virginia to be the national champions all year. But something about how Tennessee handled overtime, that actually pushed me to pick them over Virginia. I'm going against everything I said the entire season. I said the entire season that Virginia was going to win the 2019 National Championship. I am going to take Tennessee over them. I'm not saying Tennessee is going to advance and win the title for Virginia. But something about how they handled that, to give up that massive of a 25-point lead to Iowa. That is concerning in itself. Don't get me wrong on that at all. But watching that overtime, something almost kind of clicked for me. It was the same reason watching LSU late uh, in, in the season, the SEC tournament without Will Wade. That's why I picked against, against LSU. That didn't work out for me all that well. I, I do, I, Like I said, I do have them losing to Michigan State. I thought that LSU was going to lose to Yale. So that part didn't work out for me. But again, I kind of have that feeling here of how Tennessee handled overtime in that win over Iowa. Six-point overtime win over Iowa. I'm going to pick Tennessee Over Virginia in the Elite Eight. Tennessee to go to the Final Four. And then I'm going to pick Houston over Auburn in the Elite Eight. Houston going to the Final Four. Uh, Out West in Anaheim, I have Gonzaga over Texas Tech. I have Gonzaga going back to the Final Four. And then, like I said, Duke over Michigan State. Duke over Michigan State. So the Final Four would be next week. It's going to be Duke, uh, Gonzaga, Houston and Tennessee. Duke, Gonzaga, Houston, and Tennessee. I think Duke survived. I think most teams, we don't often see a team like Villanova a few years back where they basically just barrel through the entire field. We don't see that very often. Usually national champions, final four teams, title contenders, they go through one game like Duke had. It doesn't get within centimeters like they had. They shouldn't be here. It should have been a charge on Zion. There's no question about it. that charge was called three minutes earlier on Zion. I don't understand how that call can be made three minutes earlier, but then with 15 seconds left, it can't be called. It is a subjective call, but I have more of a problem with that, a blatant push-off extension of the arm, than I do with a standard charge call. The charge call is one of the hardest calls in sports. I mean, you're watching when the player gathers himself, goes up, launches, where the player is standing, if he is set, if he is outside of the ring. I understand that. that that's a, it's a call that is really hard to be mad about, a subjective charge call. There was nothing subjective about Zion's push. That was 100% a charge. Duke shouldn't be here. But they are here, and I think that they had the game that they needed to get over the hump. I think Michigan State will challenge them. I think Virginia Tech's going to challenge them this weekend in Washington, D.C. But I think Duke kind of got over the hump a little bit. I mentioned Tennessee. I think Virginia is going to absolutely shut down Oregon. Oregon goes through the spurts during the season. We saw the spurt in the second half versus UC Irvine where they didn't score for the first eight some odd minutes against UC Irvine. And yes, Irvine played pretty decent defense there, but that was more just Oregon being completely inept on offense. So I have a really, really hard time thinking that Oregon is going to score more than 60 points in that game, and I think they do need to score at least 60 points. Virginia has held more than a dozen dozen opponents under 50 points this season. I think Oregon could be another one. I just don't see Oregon scoring enough to win that game at all. All right, let's wrap it up here on the High Motor Podcast. Again, big thanks to Jeff Goodman, Jesse Newell. You can check out this episode and every other episode of High Motor Podcast on iTunes, on Overcast, Spreaker, Spotify, Stitcher. We are everywhere. Again, go back to the giveaway. The giveaway question, once again, who was one of the names that Jeff Goodman said could be in play at Washington State? Tweet that answer to High Motor Pod. At High Motor Pod, tweet it to me. Maybe we'll send some free swag your way. In the meantime, again, check out every episode on iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify. Check out me on, on Twitter, at Adowdy88. And thank you for listening to this episode of the High Motor Podcast on the Hero Sports Podcast Network.
1: I saw a friend
2: today. It had been a while.
1: And we forgot each
2: other's name. But it didn't matter cause deep inside the feeling still remained the same.
1: We talked of knowing one
2: before you met, and how you feel more than you see, and other worlds that lie in spaces in